to episode 54 of Room of Requirement, our podcast dedicated to reason and resilience in the time of Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we still need to be doing this? (laughs) 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 Did we win? Did we win? No, no. We definitely did not win. Um, I am one of your co-hosts, Kamala Shram. With me, as always, is... Uh, Miracle Jones. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I'm just, I'm editing a book, so I'm in this uh, weird editing process. Yeah. Uh, this is the fourth edit on it. Wow. So, uh, the first three, I've got like a system. This is my 10th book, right? Okay. So, I've got a system, and uh, usually the first three, it's just really painful. <laughs> and just is horrible and hard and takes yeah. forever. Like, it takes about six months, right? Yeah. This, the, by the time of the fourth edit, it's like, so, it's like, this isn't so bad. Like, yeah. It's, you know, I'm doing it so much quicker. It's like... Each sentence doesn't just depress me. Right. So uh, it's actually, this is the fun one. Yeah. And then I'm going to give it one more edit before I pass it to an actual editor. Right. Which, you know, but, uh, and then that last edit, it's like, I feel great. It's like, this is a real book. Like, somebody wrote this. Wow. What a... What a what an accomplishment! <laughs> but yeah, you just kind of hide all the like. And when do you start the cycle done. again? What's up? When do you start the cycle again? Immediately. <laughs> Immediately. I'm already. I'm working on another. I'm in the process of writing a different yeah. one. So uh, you know, uh, but it'll be nice to go back to because I like the write. I like I like writing and I like this part of being done with editing where it's like yeah yeah you know like just changing sentences every now and then or deleting paragraphs and you feel very like uh imperial (laughs) Uh, but all that will all that will change and i will be back to confronting my own horrible imitations your horrible serfdom yeah (laughs) yes exactly uh but yeah yeah uh so you know brief the next three weeks i'll be feeling pretty good about awesome. my writing career <laughs> do you have thanksgiving plans yeah, i don't have thanksgiving plans so. you don't have thanksgiving plans no. oh well, let's do something all right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I, let's do that yeah i'll, I'll bring i'll bring something yeah. <laughs> we'll figure something out yeah um I'm trying to think. Uh, and how are you otherwise? Uh, weather's getting a little colder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of golden so far, though. Yeah. There's been no snow yet. Yeah. Which sometimes there is by now, so yeah. I'm all right with that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, how about you? You got, you got yeah. Uh, so, I, uh, so my sister is actually expecting as we speak. Yeah. So uh, she's been... Uh, she's in the hospital right now, so I'm about to become an uncle. It's kind of the first uh, grandchild of both sides of the family. Yeah. So, uh, we're all very excited. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a very special episode of Room yeah. of Requirement. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, Cl- a clip show where yeah. we all think about our lives because the baby's <laughs> being born. <laughs> um, it's great. Uh, so uh, we're all looking forward to that. Um, I am going to uh, head down in December to help out. Uh, with my sister. Um, that's your shift. Yeah, that's my shift. Yeah. So my, my shift begins in December, so uh, we'll see how that goes. And uh, yeah, uh, we're all just looking forward to it. I also have a friend of mine um, who is uh, expecting right now. She's also a listener of the podcast. Um, and so I think either yesterday or today, she also uh, may have gone. I'm not exactly sure where her status is. Amazing. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, my, I got a little sister now too, yeah. like another n- newborn one. Oh yeah, born in like a couple weeks ago. While you were while you were gone on yeah, vacation, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hope yeah. Uh, is her name. Uh, but yeah, the uh, yeah, babies everywhere. Yeah, yeah, great, like, great. Uh, 
right. Fantastic. Do you like babies? I do, actually. I really, yeah, really like I believe them. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, not such much of a pet person, but I, I yeah. really love kids. So. Yeah, yeah. I've seen you with kids, and yeah. it's like, it's alarming. You're very, like, good with children. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've always liked kids. Uh, so we're looking for it. Uh, so that's going to be awesome. Um, it's kind of the end of the year, so in the financial cycle, it ends up being kind of stressful. So the next, yeah. next couple of, next six weeks are going to be pretty stressful, I think, for me. And um, I have this now, this regular cycle, where uh, at the end of uh, the work week, I catch up with my boss, and he just, yeah, it's just a drain. It's just the worst way to end a work week. It's like 45 <laughs> minutes of how we're not doing well enough. It's just so, so it's the last thing you go into the weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's terrible. But um, Do you do it over drinks, at least? No. <laughs> completely sober. It's, uh, it's a worst thing in the world um so uh, i had to think about that but it's i'm not like super worried um uh my wife is getting ready to go on her own vacation from the vacation yeah uh, she said one of the um uh, my wife is not given to empathy or sympathy that, no, that's not that's not true she's, I mean, I, she's a she's she's a hardcore person but yeah. i wouldn't say she's not a sensitive judicious with yeah, yeah 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 extremely <laughs> judicious yeah and she said a really sympathetic thing uh, well so we went on vacation with my wife's parents right and and my wife i'll tell a story and i'm like ah oh, that was pretty funny uh, my father-in-law lost his medicine, and we had to go try to figure out how to translate that in Spanish, and yeah, it yeah. was amazing. Um, all of these kind of hijinks, and I just kind of expect that. And my wife was kind of getting stressed and more stressed as the week went on. And then I think when she came back, she just kind of unloaded on you. Yeah. Like she got really, oh, right. <laughs> I mean, like in telling the story, she wasn't really mad at Miracle Jones, but she was like, like she was really, really angry. It was a great story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was just a series of stories of misadventures. Um but then I think she turned around last night and she was like, you know what? I just realized, like, uh, going around with m her parents uh, in a foreign country where they didn't speak the language was a lot like raising a kid in a foreign country. Like, and it must have been a lot like the immigrant experience because, like, yeah, you, yeah, you have to get through life. Yeah. Like, you don't really speak the language. You certainly don't know how, doesn't you don't know how the system works. Yeah, and you just kind of make do. And so uh, her parents are, are relatively elderly at this point. So. 70 something yeah day, like seven uh early 70s maybe late 60s um and so it was it was like having kids in some ways they got cranky they didn't want to eat and they had to go to bed early yeah. they didn't want to walk um and my wife when i wasn't around she didn't know the language so uh there was something like kind of sympathetic and i i think it'll take a little while but i think it'll sink in that like that's like a it's a sympathetic thing where like you know i think she was exposed to something that you know, it is hard. It is yeah. often hard to raise kids, period. Yeah. Uh, but certainly if you don't yeah, have the resources and the language and the knowledge of yeah. the system, I think that's a lot of times why communities, immigrant communities, tend to be closed because they have to figure out a way to navigate the, the new world that they're in. Uh, so that was, that, was what I thought, that was an interesting insight. And I also want to say uh, we're uh, we're one short again uh, this episode. Yeah, we didn't yeah. address that it's last time. It's a shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alexis will be back hopefully in the new year. Yeah, she's just uh, taking care of some stuff. Yeah, trying to find a new place to live. Yeah, and that means like weekends and evenings. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking hard to find a place to live in New York. Yeah, like, New York's real estate is just its own separate side occupation that yeah. doesn't really pay anything. Yeah, it's kind of creates this weird world where everybody you see in new york like commuting or around you kind of have default respect for it's like you're a brutal motherfucker <laughs> you found a way to live here yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh yeah she's she's trying to find a new apartment um yeah yeah uh well how's everything else been like how you, you're going to a kickboxing class this afternoon no, we are <laughs> uh so we uh there's a it's a kickboxing 
fitness class. So it's okay. a, it's it's a bag class. So you're punching a bag. You're not punching someone else. Right. Uh, and it's one of those exercises that I and my wife liking like to do. So we're both <laughs> kind of active. Yeah. Uh, my wife more so than me, but like she, we're both physically active. So it's nice that we can find an activity that we can do together. Kickboxing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, read into that what you will. So, uh, we did this uh, for my wife's birthday, which was last week, actually, a week ago today. Um, and so we liked it enough that we were going to go back. So, yeah, uh, we have a kickboxing class at uh, 3-ish. Is it in Queens? No, no, no. Okay. It's in Manhattan. Yeah, I mean, it's, Manhattan is now the land of boutique gyms where there's, like, this one... Every gym has, like, this one exercise they do. It's <laughs> supposed to be, like, complete exercise, and it's, like... $25 a class or whatnot, <laughs> and then, yeah, it's all nonsense. Yeah, and I think that's it with me, man. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, do you want to talk about... I mean, it's a big week. That's the thing to talk about. So, um, I think the best question to lead with is, was it a blue wave? Uh, everybody's asking that. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, don't, I mean, do I think yes, because I feel better about <laughs> things. Yeah. Like, I feel like there is some weird protection now. Yeah. That the Republicans have been injured and the Democrats have their fortunes are up. You know? Yeah. The wheel has turned. The wheel has turned and I mean, turned. that just seems like in any way you spin it, that just seems inarguably true. So yeah. uh yeah, wave, not a wave, like whatever, like job done. Like yeah. whatever needed to happen happened and now we have there's a branch of government, half a branch of government that is under the control of the Democratic Party. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that I realized talking to people was that um, there was a lot of anxiety leaning into uh, the midterm elections. Yeah. And I can't remember. Just uh, random people that I don't think of as being political. Like, I had lunch with a friend this week, and she was talking about how she was really, ups- like, she was uh, all sorts of anxious leading up to the election. And then I think... Uh, uh, someone else who listens to the podcast, she was telling me that like her husband was really anxious. Like, oh, really? Right? And yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, and I guess for us, like, were you that anxious? I wasn't that anxious. This I don't time. know. I, I think it's because yeah. we have an event, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, we're, we're two people who are like of our group of friends, like yeah. care a little bit too much about politics, follow it a little bit too yeah. closely, and for some reason, we were like, oh yeah, I think things are gonna be all right. Or at least yeah. I did. I thought things were gonna be all right. Yeah. I mean, I was also working for a campaign, so right. I was like, I had a place to put my nervous energy. Yeah. Like anytime I was like, we should do. Everybody should I could do something. Right. You know? Like I had a place to directly like spend my energy, which I think is helpful if you are nervous. I mean, yeah. Like, politics is not a sport. It's a thing that you participate in. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like you can actually affect the outcome. Right. Very slightly. Right. Uh, yeah, it did. It did see. It didn't. I didn't. I didn't have that same feeling going into it of like uh, anything had happened this time. Yeah. Elections aren't. I mean, all the results aren't in, and we're yeah. probably going to have north of thirty-five yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah, probably yeah, when everything yeah. is done in the house. So uh, yeah, I think those are. I think those are good results. I mean, yeah. they certainly could have been worse. Yeah, definitely. Uh, were there any surprises for you? I wasn't following a lot of the congressional district stuff or um so i think those i I think there are kind of picks um i'm a little surprised that the uh democrats democratic senators uh lost as badly as they did in Mm. certain cases uh i wasn't expecting that kind of um margin um but i but I, I think overall, I, I, I think that's interesting, right? Yeah. Like, I think the Democrats were... It says something more about where the Democrats were facing senatorial battles than it does about the overall mood of the country. And, I mean, 
it also says that, I mean, in certain parts of the country, that set of politics, whatever, uh, is being put forth by the Republican Party plays well. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm, I'm surprised. Like, uh, Piedkamp in particular, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and you know, I thought the the Donnelly loss was pretty big. For, yeah, for Indiana, everybody yeah. was forecasting something close there. And yeah, it's just not close. Yeah, I I think those were kind of the disappointments. Yeah, I also think that you know I was listening to um, I think uh, maybe five thirty eight, and they were saying that the disappointments early on in the night kind of framed the narrative, so people mm. were walking away from like, oh, the Democrats didn't do as well. But I think and when everything is kind of said and done. The Democrats had a pretty good night. Like, yeah. I mean, it's still not done. Like, yeah. there's a world in where, as a result of Mike Espy and like, <laughs> tons of cash flowing into, you know, Mississippi, like, yeah. the Democrats break even. Right. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. But it's possible. Shit. Right. I mean, start, yeah. it's not over. Like, right. Uh, I would not put my money on that. Yeah. But it, we were all prepared for, everybody was prepared for a crazy, something crazy to happen, and they had their crazy take ready, and, and yeah. we got the exact, you know, down the middle result that right. we, we expected. and We were prepped for, yeah. and it's probably representative of the mood of the country, where yeah. the faster-moving institutions are moving swiftly in the Democrats. Yeah. favor but slower moving institutions are still solidly republican right so yeah. that's kind of how uh <laughs> democracy is designed to yeah. be, have some fast moving institutions and some very slow moving institutions so yeah. uh the framers really didn't trust the people yeah so from the thousand yard you know from from way up high everything seems to be back to normal you know like, yeah. that's and people are some people Notably, our executive are doing their damnedest to keep it from being that way, to keep it weird, you know, yeah. to keep it fucked up and awesome yeah. and strange and keep people engaged. But this was a renunciation of dramatic politics, I would think. Maybe, way. yeah. I, 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 that I disagree with, and I think I yeah. disagree with it because I, I feel like I'm agreeing with you on the earlier podcast that no matter what, the tenor of politics has changed, right? So, yeah. like, Right now, I mean, because the election itself, the pre- uh, the results were somewhat predictable, doesn't yeah. necessarily mean we haven't gone into this much more performative mode of politics, right? So yeah. um, I think that's, if anything, I think people will, will, have, will try to echo that heightened way of engaging in politics from the top, uh, a lot of theater, uh, sort of a very... You know, Trump, I think people often use Trump as a sense of politics or yeah. like a sense of policies, which is weird. Um, but I actually think he's much more of a, uh, a style and performance, right? And, like, yeah. and I feel like people are getting more Trumpian in that way. Not in terms of like where they are in the political spectrum, but in terms of this. I, in, in some ways, like Cory Booker is a Trumpian politician. That's true. Yeah. But is that, does I, that make him, I think that hurts him. It's like a to his detriment. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not, yeah. yeah, I don't think Trump, I think Trump, the Trump formula works because Trump is charismatic. Yeah. I think people who aren't charismatic, that doesn't work. I would say that doesn't work for Kamala Harris, but you and I could disagree about that. I don't think she's Trumpian so much as she is Oprah-ian. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's fair. I mean, yeah, I guess, I think the flip side is the same coin, right? Like, I mean, are you airing your grievances and rage and indignation or are you are you airing your, like, sympathy and your concern and it's still a very emotive, like, performative way of engaging politics, right? Yeah, I, re- I, I, re- I feel yeah. your pain kind of Bill Clinton yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of yeah, throwback. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that's fine, but I think that heightened emotionality of how we perform politics at, from our, or we expect that performance from our leaders, I don't think that's that's gone. I think we'll see. I think Adam Schiff is not Devin Nunes, right? But right. I think I think there are going to be plenty of would be, uh, you know, four two bit like stars from the Congress trying to gain like camera time. I I would agree with you if the most prominent powerful Democrat right now is not suddenly Nancy Pelosi again who I think I suspect is smart enough to understand that what the Democrats need to do in the next at least year before the reality show of the presidential campaign kicks off is to put out some policy like to attempt to craft some shit yeah and I think if she is successful at that we're going to start having policy debates yeah. and uh, wonkier voices are going to prevail in that. Right. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, I think that's fair. I think Nancy Pelosi can try to grab the headlines as much as anyone. Probably yeah. not as much as anyone, but like in that case. But I think she also knows how to whip her her caucus yeah. into shape. I what the question with me isn't whether or not she's going to be an arm twister. I think she's as good as anyone. Yeah. Maybe even better than a lot. Yeah. Uh, certainly better than Paul Ryan. Um, uh, but I think she's she's like Hastert like in that ability, right? Like, I mean, she's one of the better uh, congressional leaders we've had. Let's say Rayburn like. <laughs> Let's not say Hastert like. <laughs> uh, or Tip O'Neill like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, someone who can really uh, bring the Congress. Uh, into, you know, herd a bunch of kittens, right? Yeah. Um, what I worry about is her instincts for policy, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know whether she's going to do policy as such, because you have to be able to, to in order to pass policy, you have to be able to uh, work something through the Senate. Um, I think the idea is whether or not we'll also have performative legislation. Performative legislation is, is the right, is yes. I mean, I don't think we're going to get anything, but it's going to be... So when the Republicans were doing performative legislation they were performatively removing obamacare yeah performatively doing things that once they got in office they realized there was no political will and it was very bad for them to actually do right yeah i think pelosi's smart enough to try to begin crafting bills that when they take back the senate or they have the executive you know when they have some power they could theoretically pass instantly, knowing that they might not have very long to do it. Right? right. They might have like a year window. Right? Yeah. A two-year window, being how partisan things are. Right? right. I think, and this is the, you know, this would be the time to have those debates, uh, to hash things out, to get everybody on the same page. When, right. When, you know, uh, the, all the eyes are on the Democrats. Right. You know, it takes it takes, sucks a lot of oxygen away from the Republicans. The level of engagement in politics that we're seeing right now because of Trumpian dramatics yeah. will bring people to uh, a policy discussion that ordinarily they would ignore. Yeah, and I think, again, using Trump as a way of describing how politics is performed rather than yeah. a set of ideological beliefs is helpful. And I also don't... One of the things that the narrative isn't coming out is that, oh, you know what? We had maybe 110 million people vote in a midterm election. Totally, totally. It's yeah. crazy. It's yeah. great. It's I mean, great. And that's, a, that's an undeniable... Yeah. And on both sides, yeah. right? Well think, done, America. Yeah, I think that's great. And so... Whatever you want to say about, oh, we're really heightened, this is really exhausting, it is really bringing people out to participate in the political process. Yeah. Um, 
and that's something that is you know that's a deficit like i mean i you, you know if you want to say that there's a mode of grievance and grievous airing that uh, grievance airing is problematic yeah. and, or the opposite the oprah asking of of the democrats like that's but fine i just think that uh uh whatever this new heightened way of engaging yeah. in politics means we're engaged in politics and yeah. that's actually something that uh I mean, we haven't said. I think people have, have mentioned a lot, but this is this is. I hope this is a turnaround. I mean, I don't, this move towards uh, more higher participation. I think is a good thing. I think it's just you know, it, it comes with this baggage of being very tense about politics and very partisan. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Also, other people engaging in politics makes you have to engage in politics. You're right. So that's a lot of emotional investment. Yeah. And caring about something that is lame yeah and it's very lame very lame uh, but you know indie music isn't what it used to be so yeah yeah, 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 yeah. maybe get involved in your local school board or chamber of <laughs> yeah the uh but yeah to that i mean i think the democrats would be smart and i think I, I hope this is where they're going to like use this opportunity immediately to begin like talking about immigration policy right to come up with some sort of like you know, weed legalization policy, national weed, legal, what it would look like, amnesty, you know, like to, to go for education policy. To like, right. Like, I think in general what's going to have to happen with the Democratic Party is they're going to have to lash together a coalition. Right? Yeah. Like that's, and they haven't done that, right? They've had yeah. a lot of enthusiasm, but the coalition is a big tent coalition and being able to translate that into meaningful ways uh, to engage with the larger population to put forth the policies or um uh, i guess policies are the best word but put forth policies and actions that uh either continue to uh, put forth what they want what their own coalition wants but also yeah. in turn um also gains ground that they've lost over the uh, i would say since about 2008 yeah. uh in terms of the electoral process like i think they uh how they execute power will be very interesting and I think this is at a time to start thinking about how the coalition becomes more of a political entity that looks for self-preservation yeah. rather than a voice of a million disaffected well and we're voters. looking at we're looking at a world in where everybody's assuming that what's going to happen is their republicans and democrats are going to be at each other's throats right right but there is a different world where republicans and democrats could look at each other across the aisle and be like our common enemy here is this fucking idiot yeah we have a chance to make congress more powerful than it's ever been right because we have an extremely weak executive right you know, we could begin crafting legislation, you know, in this new world that is, like, bipartisan, like, people love it, and just yeah. force this fuckhead to turn it down yeah. until we get rid of him in two years, and some moderate Republican or Democrat takes his place. You right. Know? If he's turning down a, a, a beloved immigration policy that solves all the problems that people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if we, if the, if they both manage to do in their most, you know, extreme voices. Yeah. Uh, because the the problem for the past at least two years that I saw it was the Freedom Caucus, you know, yeah. which it no longer has the power that it did. Right. The, the Freedom Caucus is definitely isolated. Yeah. But I, and I would say whatever the Tea Party was. It, yeah. I mean, our electoral process, our congressional legislative process has been uh, certainly affected by the presence of either a Tea Party or the Freedom Caucus or whatever yeah. it came. Like, very in some ways, anti-federal government mm -hmm. wing of Congress. And that's very hard to deal with. And now that they've been isolated, we'll see what happens because their last foothold was Congress. So yeah. it's the Senate is 
whatever there isn't a freedom caucus in the senate the same no. way there was in congress and in, in fact you know romney ben sass rubio yeah you know you have and i think this has also been downplayed you have like everyone when we were talking about it we were talking about how much the people who are going to be left over are far more trumpian or far more right wing in both the congress and the senate right they're, yeah. they've cleaned out the moderates i actually think that under Romney, you actually have a powerful leader of moderation, mm -hmm. right? I think it could be. It's a wild card. I mean, yeah. he's already uh, well. For one, he was a governor, not a senator. So he, he two, he's seventy years old. So yeah. like, I think he can be the maverick that McCain never could be. Yeah, um, he's also got an East Coast power base. He's got an East Coast power base. Um, he is just is a different mentality, right? Yeah. I think in some ways, and he, I think in some ways, loads Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, that's deep and so uh, a lot of people were talking about uh, he kind of became lionized on the left for some reason or from Democrats and McCain before he died mm -hmm. some of this is natural but I, I, McCain, McCain was a solid Republican conservative and except for a very few cases like he tended to vote for it with his caucus I think Romney has the potential to be much more of a wild card and I think because the national spotlight is on him he has a tendency he could peel off one or two votes um, should it? I think the real test, the first test, will be how uh, who Trump nominates for the AG and how that goes through. Yeah, because I have a feeling that it's possible Romney's just not gonna want is he's not they're not gonna be able to secure the votes, right? Like yeah. I mean, Ben uh, Ben Sass should be interesting, but like I mean, the people who are the conscious, like towards the end, Flake, yeah, and. Um, Yes, it was Flake and maybe maybe even McCain. Like they really they were speaking their minds. They ended up voting with their caucus a lot. Yeah, I don't. I think there's Romney has like I don't I forget, but I mean he has a completely solid base in Utah. He never has to worry about losing that vote no. should he want to, yeah. and he will carry that. So so he's completely secure. Like he doesn't have to cater to the. Um, to the various whims of the Republican Party or or whatever remains of their Freedom Caucus. So I'm really curious to see where that goes. And we'll see. We'll figure it out in the next few months. But he may be a far more independent uh, maverick than we've seen in any previous Congress. Yeah. I, I want to talk about the Texas election, yeah, if, if I may. Uh, sure, sure. Everybody sure. else is ignoring it or downplaying it. Yeah. So and this is an opportunity to highlight I don't it. think everyone is. I think, no. I, I think more sober analysis came out and said this is something yeah well so so there's two crazy stats that came out of the texas election that i want to highlight mm -hmm. right one is that that you're talking about voter turnout right eight million you know nine eight nine million people voted in texas right it was the biggest race in the country right it was you know four million people voted for beto and then you know four two voted for cruz right yeah that's a show so cruz got the most votes of anybody in the country in the midterms right? yeah uh you know gillibrand got three million seven you know and cruz got four million and two votes and beto got four million votes yeah. like that was the biggest race right yeah uh and i think in some ways it was insufficient you know it was hyped but i think it was insufficiently covered right for how big it was right typically because texas kind of just gets ignored by the political press because they consider it a lost cause or they consider it like a anomaly in fact it's like that is the that was the most amount of people coming out to participate in politics right yeah 
we need to be better about covering Texas races, not as like this weird foreign place inside the United States that we just don't know what's going on down there. You, you need to build your media infrastructure in Texas because that is, that's a, that's a shitload of people. That's the most people. Right. I also think that one of the things that gets downplayed is we cover Florida elections no matter where it goes. And yeah. there's always this hope. I, I think yeah. the Democrats are always hope we're going to have Florida. We're going to have this huge, know, like huge. It's going to be, yeah. Florida is the salvation. symbol of, of yeah, electoral yeah. vote, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and people are like, oh, Florida. But I think more and more, it's gonna you're going to have to think about Texas in the same way. It's, yeah. It, it's maybe even as much a toss-up now as some of the of the purple states, right? I yeah. Think that, I think this last election puts it there, right? Like, it is becomes uh, a light red state. I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, maybe even a, a red to purple state, right? Like, and I think that's where Florida is. I mean, I think, yeah. if anything, Florida's gotten more Republican, and and for some reason the Democrats are like, oh, Florida, we should throw a lot of energy into Florida. No, I think Texas, North Carolina, are like two. I just happens to be our home states. Those are those are where things are changing. Right? Totally, yeah. And I mean, they are. They are. Things are. Things are hot there. Things are. It's a fight. And, yeah. Uh, I think that vote. I think midterm elections uh, from compared to 2014. I think I saw the statistics sub 60 percent. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. People there are you know engaged like nothing else. Yeah. Uh, and in different ways than they. Are. You know, it's not a fight between centrists and progressives. Yeah. Or like socialists and you know like neoliberals in right, Texas right, right. and North Carolina. Right. It's like a different fight. That it's an older fight. Yeah. But it's one that's you know not covered because it's not interesting i guess or yeah. not you know but it's that's where people are that's yeah. the conversation people want to have is uh the the, the ted cruz beto debate that was the debate about the future of america right? right that wasn't it was a really those debates were great because they were smart policy focused they were not particularly the animus got covered a little bit when they had their few moments but it was mainly just you know them talking about what they thought about you know, actual things they could accomplish. Right. right. Uh, but that's that brings me to my other stat, which is amazing, which is Beto won native Texans by three points, right? So if you were born in Texas, uh, Beto won, right? Yeah. And for the past 10 years... Oh, okay, yeah. So you, you see what I mean? Like, yeah, okay, so, yeah, that's based on exit polls? Based on exit polls. Okay, all right. Margin of error. Okay, yeah, yeah but... That's, you know, yeah, okay. well, Ted Cruz won people from other states transplants by 15 mm. points, right? Okay. So if you were somewhere else, from somewhere else, you were way more likely to vote for Ted Cruz yeah. than a native Texan. Right? Okay. Uh, and that's outside the margin of error, right? Like, that's just a bet you can make. Like, if somebody's from another place, 15 points higher, likely, more likely to vote for Cruz. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the poll, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it seems like that seems like a more solid statistic. Well, right, but that is that runs counter to the entire narrative about Texas, right? So yeah. the narrative about Texas is the demographic change is going to turn it into a democratic stronghold, yeah. right? Like, the people from outside moving in are liberaling it up, like, yeah. and moving to these suburban districts, and they yeah. want more, and they're more likely to be uh, democratic, right? Yeah. But that's... I think that's false. I think the people who are moving to Texas are moving there because they see it as a Republican place, and they're, they're maybe. I mean, I, I think it attracts. I think the one thing about Texas is that it has a certain amount of growth, and yeah. and it's attracted young professionals. Young professionals tended to be who are well, willing to move to Texas. Who are young, young, young professionals who have a vision of Texas that yeah. is maybe yeah maybe right. maybe, maybe a little bit more conservative. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, 
And I think the thing that is actually turning Texas into a democratic state is the lack of power that they're getting in the Republican Party, right? It's Trump. Right. It's, it's the sidelining of Rex Tillerson. It's the sidelining of Ted Cruz. Right. It's the Republican Party taking Texas for granted. Right. When Texas 100% of the time looks out for itself. Right. right? And they have an opportunity. The Democratic Party has an opportunity now, right, to make to offer anything to Texas, anything you know, something at yeah. all, right? Uh, they haven't done so since Bush because they don't trust it. And yeah. They shouldn't trust it. Probably Texas will look out for itself. But then again, it is the second biggest state. So. Yeah, I, I find the less set of statistics less than compelling. But I will make this argument that I think what happened was that under the umbrella of voting for Beto, I think you turned a lot of districts like there's the yeah. turnout uh you delivered large swaths of dallas right i yeah. think in houston right so Pete sessions and and john yeah. Culberson lost their jobs which yeah. is fucking great yeah so i mean now you have the three centers right the three big cities for san antonio austin sorry yes houston. Yeah. houston dallas san antonio and uh, austin right yeah. are now blue yeah, yeah. right and, and el paso every city in texas is blue. yeah and so now you have major urban uh, support, I think, or semi-urban um, yeah. uh, support for the Democratic Party, and I think that may be a strategy in and of itself, right? Like you run charismatic leaders at the top of the ticket, or so, and in a very high prominence kind of race, uh, they may not win against an incumbent, but they're able to deliver people to the ballot box, right? Like they're able to bring people in to vote, and that changes the local landscape it changes the ground game a lot yeah um so there is something significant i mean i, I think for all that you can make fun of in terms of, of beto o'rourke i think the conservatives love doing this for some reason it's not like he was a weak candidate or anything um but he uh also went to school with me i didn't realize that yeah there was an overlap yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we, we would have known people in common actually <laughs> yeah uh, I just I just realized that last uh, couple of days ago. So uh, Beto also spent some time in New York, apparently. Yeah, um, he tried to get a job in publishing, couldn't. Yeah. I get it, I get it, man. It's, it's hard, hard out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah they don't. Uh, he, he he rode crew, I guess. <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, that's bad. Don't don't tell anybody that. He's a skateboarding punk. <laughs> he rode crew. Uh, He's heavyweight crew. Um, but I think that that process of having uh, being able to deliver a uh, local. Um, gains, right, under the umbrella of voting for someone who's very popular, right? Like, I mean, you may not be able to turn uh, statewide elections, but yeah. you, having the right candidate means that you deliver people to the ballot. Um, and that's very interesting, right? Like that's, totally. Yeah, and I mean, that may be the, be the beginning of something that is a beta strategy, that you yeah. run someone who can bring people to the ballots on your side, even if you don't expect them to win. But um, as long as it's top enough of the ticket and they bring enough press and enough funding that's a way of, of subsidizing local elections. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to talk about Beto running for president. I think it would be a that's bad nonsense. idea. nonsense. However. Oh, God. Yeah. He lost to Ted Cruz by three points in Texas, right? Yeah. And the debate between Beto and Ted Cruz was about who was going to be better at standing up to Trump for Texas. Yeah. Being as that free trade is a huge problem there right. and the wall is unpopular there yeah. and uh, Trump is has a negative approval rating in Texas. Yeah. Uh, so how does Beto do against Trump in Texas? You know? Like, if it's Beto v. Trump in 2020, right? I think Beto takes Texas. I think he takes it easily. 
I think it takes you by five points. In which case, that's something pretty big you're bringing to the table, right? Oh, you uh, think he's a veep? It's a veep. I mean, as a as the front candidate, you know, like he the East Coast and West Coast are baked in. Plus Texas, maybe Georgia, you know, maybe Tennessee. That's interesting. That's an interesting play. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I think I think it's a totally cynical move, but. You know, that's what I mean. Like this is you an think he delivers Texas. Yeah, this is an opportunity for the Democrats to offer Texas anything. Yeah, to give to to give them something where you know if if Trump is going to be constantly shitting on them, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah I you, there was a great interview with Joe Strauss, uh, the Texas uh, Speaker of the House. Yeah. Uh, who's uh, leaving now? But he all but said that he ended up voting for Beto. Yeah. Uh, just because Ted Cruz is Such so a, awful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, but right. So you could. It's bad for business. Trump is bad for business. Yeah. In, in Texas. Right. Um, so I think that's an interesting tweak on it because if you are able to take in how many, you know, there was an interesting article. Was thirty yeah, thirty odd electoral votes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, he's already got the campaign infrastructure. He's yeah. got the field offices, right? Yeah. And and Ted Cruz isn't going to help Trump in Texas, right? Just isn't going to do it. Right. It's not believable that right. he would, right? I think that's a solid argument. Yeah, yeah. You can deliver Texas. That's twenty eight. That's that's that allows you to lose Florida. Yeah. Right. Like that makes up for Florida. And if Pennsylvania, you know, and, and Beto's a, I think this last election proved he's a good national brand. Yeah. Right? You know, maybe he's, I, I don't know. That's just, that's, I was laying in bed after the election. Yeah. Thinking, listening to all these takes on Beto for other reasons. And I was like, well, those are all stupid. Yeah. But that is something, that's something that, that you can negotiate. Yeah. With. I don't know. I don't know. It's something that no other candidate can do as you know yeah. I, I don't think i don't i'm not sure kamala harris gives you texas yeah i know bernie sanders and elizabeth warren don't so yeah. all of a sudden you've got somebody that can reach maybe not the rest of middle america who gives a shit what is gonna happen in right. north dakota or missouri <laughs> but i mean I, you know but that's giant like yeah so, i don't know i don't know we're thinking about yeah i mean the way the electoral college works um you know it's been brought out i think a lot of the, the Left, leftist voices are always talking about like, okay, the electoral college is rigged against us, yeah, um, or and the way that uh, you know the Senate is is unrepresentative, and the truth is that the power out of uh, the the party out of power always complains about that, and yeah. it takes relatively small modifications of the electoral landscape, sh- small shifts to move the electoral map towards your favor. Right? Yeah. And so that's the way it works, is that it tends to be a, 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 a system that slows change. Right. But the, once changes come, it tends to entrench that change. Or theoretically distributes it. You know, like the problem, one of the problems we have is we've gotten rid of like yeah. log rolling on pork barrel yeah. politics, which I think was probably good for the country during the, you know, yeah, 20th and the wa- century. And the way that, I mean, you know, a country on the march found a way to uh, grow its infrastructure and yeah. build political coalitions. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. And a country that is declining tends to snip at each other's heels. Yeah, yeah for right. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting. One of the pieces that I've been thinking about, um, and I think Nate Silver wrote a little bit about this, but, you know, uh, 
the Democrats did pretty well, I and mean, they started to regain some key territory, I think, in the congressional districts uh, around uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Pennsylvania, and so there's... Uh, Pennsylvania was redistricting, though. I mean, it's, it's possible to say sure. what the... Uh, yeah, right, 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 yeah. right, right. But if you can make a, an argument that the uh, there's sort of a, a Midwest, a northern Midwest that is coming slowly back... Uh, to the Democratic Party, now you have a much better electoral out outlook yeah. um, going forward. And so if you have that plus a little bit of the Sun Belt, whether it's North Carolina or Texas, all of a sudden you have a very big uh, win in terms of the Electoral College, right? Like yeah. you deliver Texas, you can lose Florida, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you deliver three uh, Midwest states, you tie for Florida, and you just need North Carolina to put you ahead, right? So... Um, there are a number of ways that this plays out that could be favorable to the Democrats. Um, so before, I'm not saying that the Electoral College is a great idea, but before you go decrying it, it may actually help you out. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. I mean, and the other thing is felons now vote in Florida. Yeah. So, you know, maybe spend, you know, maybe you can spend a little less money there uh, than all of your money. Yeah, I mean, right, I, I think, uh, again, Florida can be pretty overhyped. Um, yeah. And it is something that is it leans Republican, and I, I don't know why Democrats think it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, why did we think you're going to run a progressive governor? I, I, so I, I, I mean, <laughs> I understand why you wanted to try, but yeah. like, I, I, he got close. I mean, yeah, but yeah. I, why that would actually translate to a win? Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, I think this is a, a good election for the Democrats. Yeah, totally. Um, it was rich in data and instructive mm -hmm. and puts a path forward i think yeah uh, and at the same time giving uh, a huge win in the in the house mm -hmm. and i would say also a huge win in the senate mm -hmm. considering how the way it could have gone right uh which that was the real thing we were averting right and i don't think there's like the difference between a 54 republican senate and a 52 i guess is what we're heading at now yeah. 51 52 uh, it's big, actually. So yeah. you actually have the... 51 is much easier to have, for have a uh, Maverick or two, yeah. a Romney plus one, uh, wreck certain key legislatures, legislate, uh, legislative agendas, um, or appointments. Uh, 52 is harder. Uh, 54 makes it impossible, I think. You have to have a very strong moderate wing. Uh, so I think that'll be... That's that's an interesting space. Like, um, So don't... Dis you know, just because you lost doesn't... There, their degrees of losing yeah. um, in the Senate. I also think that the local map has changed. Right? Totally. And yeah. uh, I think the Democrats picked up seven. Yeah, governorships. Seven net. We, we don't know yet. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That changes. Yeah. Um, Scott Walker's gone. Yeah. Um, uh, Chris Kobach lost. Yeah, Chris Kobach, big. Um, so all of these all of these things are, are important, right? Like, yeah. so um, that changes the also the prospects for redistricting in mm -hmm. 2020 which yeah. is really important so thinking about governor's races now and also governor's races in 2020 i mean that's something that the democrats really if they want to if they want to do something more than just coalesce around defeating trump like thinking about the governor's races is really important yeah you know? and that's something that will really matter i think in 2020 when uh the census comes out so it is it, we are we are post Stalingrad or El Alamein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts about the midterm election? Uh, I am.
constantly suspicious of and made uncomfortable by the fact that California has Democrats running against Democrats. It just feels anti-democratic. Like, I don't like that. You know, was, the Senate race in California was between Kevin DeLeon and Dianne Feinstein. It just doesn't feel... I don't like their voting. You know, yeah. I don't like the way California works. It doesn't... I would prefer to see them defeat a Republican every year if that's what's going to happen, right? You're right. The fact that... I get it. If I were a Republican and I saw that, I would be fucking pissed at California. Yeah. You have no chance to, like, you have your mess... Have a real debate between two sides, you know? Instead, you're, you're, you have... Oh, I think... So... I actually think it leaves open the possibility that a Republican, like in a state that's heavily Democratic, right? Yeah. There's always a possibility that the Democrats split the ticket and the top two contenders are Republican. Maybe, but you that, think that's too rare? It's so it's insane. And if that were to happen, it would be anti-democratic too, right? Like that would be bad. Like, right. Somebody, I think you think it's all gaming. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I think it. I think it. I think it's bad for. <laughs> like the rest of the state because you're seeing people fleeing california feeling politically disenfranchised and making no, so other I'm, states more okay pl- fleeing california has a lot to do with i don't know maybe that cost of housing right there's that but weak yeah. wage income yeah, you know yeah. bad social safety net like yeah. i mean yes but at least in new york we have a token republican give it a shot and yeah. they're you know roundly defeated Except for, uh, you know, mayors. Every once Except in a for while. New York City mayors. Every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Because we, you know, we give them a sh- Sometimes they're just a better candidate yeah. and they want to run against a weak one, right? Yeah. It, it, make, it keeps politics stronger to have less of a one-party system. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I think something's so got to be done about that. Like, it just... It, I mean, it's good for Cal... It, it, I don't like it anywhere. I'm just suspicious So of you don't like, like the top two pop- popular votes? Mm-mm. Okay. No, I prefer, like... You a, like you like the, the parties as chooser of candidates? Yeah, yeah. I okay. mean... I'm not a big fan of that, but I don't... I don't because I don't, I don't know how you get around to a multi-party system that way. I mean, maybe ranked choice. Mm, you too know. complicated. <laughs> so more complicated than... Majority, maybe. yeah. Maybe, yeah, for sure. Maybe. I mean, maybe. don't don't downplay the system, uh, the simplicity of a system. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, I, I mean, I've written articles about this, but I think we need to have more ranked choice polling in order to get us prepare us for something like ranked choice voting. Yeah, right? I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, we don't we don't have you know we're used to we poll in a up or down. Yeah. Uh, and so people think about elections that way. Yeah. If we had more ranked choice polling, it would start to push people to think more about it and get prepare them for something slightly more complicated, but which would be more democratic and which would result in more moderates and uh, more political will invested in whoever won. Right. Maybe, yeah. Um, anyway, California. I'm suspicious of it. Okay. Uh, that's just, that was, I, I think about that every time I see that, where it's like two, you know, it's a progressive versus a moderate Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts about the election? Uh, nah, that's about that's about it. That's about no. it. Uh, was there was there any race you were particularly following that? I wasn't really particularly. I was just yeah. trying to figure out. I was also trying to dig a little below the national level and yeah. try to follow, but it's really hard to figure out and kind of come up with aggregate summaries of what was happening at state legislatures yeah. Yeah, or in state legislature races and I, I think it's an interesting story and I think that story is still much murkier but in general I think it was a, it was a good it was a, it was a good election so I had a, I had a question for sure. you oh, yeah, yeah, based, on, based on something you said at, yeah. at dinner earlier yeah. this week so defend your 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 choice of Amy Klobuchar for president in 2020 
Oh, Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> ah, yeah. So at dinner, you're, you're convinced that she was the, uh, the pick. That I think that's that much wrote. more of an aesthetic. Okay. Right, because I think Klobuchar is someone who comes off as less than histrionic. Okay. I'm not exactly sure I want to be... Um, Camp Klobuchar? <laughs> Camp Klobuchar, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't even say her name. I need you to keep reminding me. How to <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm not even sure I'm saying it right. So anyway, uh, Miss Klobuchar. Yeah. Um, I... I think she comports herself well. I like the idea of her coming from uh, Minnesota, Midwest. Was yeah. what I was going to say, yeah. So I like that kind of the center of the country. Uh, she gets to deliver again, um, maybe one or two states with her. Right. Um, I'm a I'm a fan of someone who can pull off being kind of a, a moderate in the Democratic Party. I right. think that's something that I tend to champion. It's sort of the moderate wing of the Republican Party, as opposed to the progressive or the activist wing. Um, and so, again, it's just a, it's a purely aesthetic thing. Just a couple of things I've seen, a couple of things in policy. I don't think it, my reaction to her is any deeper than that. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, I also think it's a thin field right now. Yeah. Like, I mean, you have to, you if it's a thin field, then why not her? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like you said, I mean, a Beto, Klobuchar, Klobuchar, uh, Beto would would give you key states in the, in the Midwest, and you have a lock on the coasts. So, I mean, that's... Um, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, I would want us to run a minority, but that's fine. That's too. the old LBJ uh, Hubert Humphrey. <laughs> yeah, the Hubert Humphrey, right, right, <laughs> the right. Texas, Minnesota. Yeah, you split you split some of the key states in the <laughs> yeah. middle, and then you just deliver the coast, right? Like, yeah. there's no way you're not going to get California, Washington, Oregon, New York. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Into it. Uh, interesting. Uh, what what are, what are you, what's your handicap for some of the other contenders? Um, would you do you like? you like uh, Elizabeth Warren? Uh, so I think I think she's problematic. Yeah. I, I think she's problematic as a campaigner. I think she's a problematic um, voice. Not in the sense that I think I disagree with what she says. I kind of disagree with a, a fair amount of what she says. Um, and I, but I think that she's. Uh, uh, I don't think she has the charisma to appeal to again we're playing sort of for the middle of the map right like i mean we can deliver the coast so we have to do, we have to figure out a, a path in the middle um in the south right so that's that's how i think about it i'm not convinced she can do that and i mean maybe that's just my own reaction that i don't find her particularly moving same thing with bernie sanders yeah. um uh cory booker all of these people i think are weak national candidates yeah uh kamala harris maybe uh i think she can I, I've heard that she can be charismatic from people other than you, um, but we'd have to see. I think uh, maybe that, maybe she has a, uh, maybe she has something to play. But I I think and I also just tend to prefer an executive for an executive role. Yeah. Uh, so I'm much more interested in the field of, of governors. But I don't. I also don't think we can. Uh, I don't think the Democrats have a strong governor uh, pool to pull from. Well, what about? Uh the guy that just took over in California. Yeah, just took over, right? Yeah, too or too soon. Yeah, too soon for sure. Anyone who yeah. won the 2018 election, I don't think should be running for 2020 and president. Okay, yeah. I yeah. want I. And this is just me being me, but no, I, sure. I, I, I tend former to mayor, former mayor. Sure, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fine, great. Um, I mean, there are only like there are only like unless you're a former mayor of New York City, like yeah. I just don't think that. You get to catapult it to the president. All right. Well, the strongest, the strongest governor on the Democratic side, I would say, is John Hickenlooper in Colorado. Yeah. So that's you know he's got face blindness, so that's a problem. Sure, it's it's going to be really hard to raise a donor cap. <laughs> but he's pretty. You know, Colorado is a state that has gone from 
purple to pretty solidly blue. Yeah. And it's done a lot of things that I consider to be the future of the country. Yeah. Uh, and he's very well liked, right? Yeah. And he's overseen these changes yeah. in a way that were not catastrophic to the state. Yeah. I just, I again, we're talking about a field or a space where we're talking about performative politics. And so yeah. I don't know how he performs as a candidate. Uh uh, he's yeah. okay. Yeah, I right. mean, he, he wins, but he may not remember national, who you yeah. are. Yeah, national. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you know, face blindness doesn't mean voice blindness. You can it's remember true. voice. It's true. You can remember voices. And you just have to always... I mean, it's a strange quality. That's all I'm saying. It's a strange qu- quality in a politician. Right, right. I mean, and my, and my <laughs> wife keeps complaining that she may or may not be... Or she claims, rather, she yeah. could be face blind. Um, which is just her way of saying she just forgets people a yeah, lot. Yeah. She's just not very good with people. You know, if he, it's a great thing to, to get out there to say that you are if you're a politician because it's also, it's also just kind of like saying like, oh, yeah. okay, I, I'm sorry I don't remember you. I just have this thing. Totally. Like, yeah, I can't yeah. remember everybody faces. in Colorado. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. Yeah, so you're always kind of, it's smart, you know. Maybe he's just, you know, smart. Yeah, he's a smart liar. that is yeah. a... Yeah. His thing, um, yeah. Any and so that was up in for wars. If you want more information <laughs> yeah, on it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Looper conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, but you know. Uh, anyway, I, I think he's probably the most high-profile, successful. I I think we have a weak national field. Yeah, that's what I just think. So that's you don't have a natural star. Yeah, uh, in the waiting. So uh, John Bell Edwards in Louisiana. Uh, I haven't seen him on camera actually. I don't know anything about him really. Uh, kind of a, a, a populist mm. populist Catholic okay maybe Southerner. Yeah, I just think you're talking about a, a presidency yeah, again a, a pretty weak field and there are plenty of people who see a weakness and so it's going to be a crowded field of mediocrity yeah uh, at least in the beginning for democratic presidency so you don't have a top you don't have a number one for going into no the I don't reality no, show. no. So that yeah. makes you a good like test subject. Everybody maybe, can but test I have my political. Right, I, can, yeah. I I have my political biases though. Yeah, yeah. yeah I want a centrist and with executive experience. So, but also somebody who's a kind of a globalist and has like a, a sense of. Oh no, I mean executive experience in government. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Nikki Haley is who you want. Admit it. I would. Uh, <laughs> who would I put? If Nikki Haley ran for president, <laughs> admit it. <laughs> How weak would the can yeah? How weak would the Democratic candidate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think yeah. I don't know. I would. <laughs> I wouldn't. Would you vote for Nikki Haley over Bernie Sanders? <sighs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Nikki Haley over Cory Booker. Yeah, I think I would. Yeah, yeah. I think I yeah for sure. I think yeah. not because I think his policies are that much different than mine, but I just. Yeah, I don't. I don't find him a natural politician the way I think that Nikki Haley is a smart politician. Yeah, uh, and I mean, you know, she took down the Confederate flag people. Let's not. <laughs> she did take down the Confederate. And she wrote that letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About yeah. Uh, how she's keeping, she's pulling things off Trump's desk. Uh, yeah. Nikki Haley versus Beto. Oh, and I said, I'd still vote for a Democrat. I'm still a Democrat. I vote so for Beto. Beto's the strongest response. So yeah, 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 I vote right. for Beto. No, no, but I mean, like, yeah. you're talking about, like, the fringes and the weak candidates. And the yeah, 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 yeah. I would vote for Beto, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, Nikki Haley versus Klobuchar. Oh, for Klobuchar. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah she's, yeah. like, definitely a number one. Yeah. Uh, Nikki Haley versus... Who else is even out there? Yeah. Uh, it's 
that's problem that you can't think of anybody yeah. for, versus Kamala Harris. I'd still vote for Kamala Harris probably, yeah. but I mean that's I, a good race, right? You know? Yeah, that's a smart. I, I feel like that would be a presidential race where I'd walk away being like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, if, or if we had a Klobuchar versus Nikki Haley, I think we'd also yeah. because as much as I disagree with Nikki Haley, I think she's better than probably anyone managed to navigate pretty tough political waters well. Yeah. I mean, she managed to be in the Trump administration and not look like a complete ass. Name one other person. Right. Other than maybe Jim Mattis. Maybe. Yeah, it's a tough call. I think I think it, I, when you look back on like what she's been able to navigate, yeah, like she got out right before things got fucked. Uh, she did a pretty good job as governor of South Carolina, and I think she. I have no evidence of that. <laughs> I, I think in terms of like I, I think she did alright like I mean South yeah. Carolina so I mean yeah, like exactly. no matter how well you run South Carolina Mississippi it's gonna remain South Carolina yeah yeah. yeah. but uh yeah I don't like her position on charter schools so that's like my oh yeah huge, we, we've it's never a had, huge issue but yeah we've never we had that. Have, that, have that out like a special two part edition where about like where our we come with stats <laughs> on the charter school debate yeah yeah, yeah, nonsense, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I like Nikki Haley, maybe not enough to vote for her, but I think I think it's a Republican Party that is bent on self destruction that doesn't pull Nikki Haley up and make her. I make her yeah, they something. should. Uh, it would be a smart Republican Party that made her veep. Yeah, for it, sure. It might be a dead Republican Party that would make her something though. Yeah, they would be. Yeah, they would be desperate. But I think yeah. that that would also be the way to revive that party. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's it for me, man. Yeah, me too. Uh, wait, actually, but I wanted to know, is this podcast you're listening to any good? Uh, Bear, what is it? So Bear Brook, uh, yeah. it's a podcast that's only about six or seven episodes. It's about um, sort of, uh, it's a true crime uh, kind of serial killer mystery, but it's better done because I think it's, um, there's something that's just not as polished. It is about people who are uh, the community trying to solve a murder because what happens is people you know people are discovered in a gruesome way and yeah. people don't know who this who what happened at all and there's no context for it so people like it's both about a community and about a p- people trying to solve this problem or this issue or this murder and um i i think it works pretty well i yeah. i wouldn't necessarily recommend it as like my all-time favorite but yeah. it's a good little podcast and i have to say the serial killer podcast um format is one that works yeah just because it's a mystery yeah it's yeah. a mystery it compels you so uh this is one of the better ones i was listening to that's made by like new hampshire public yeah radio. it's new, yeah new hampshire public radio i, I like that a lot actually yeah. yeah i have two recommendations sure one is i'm reading the best the best book i've read this year i'm about halfway through it it's so good is uh, masha Gessen's the future is history yeah and it's everybody needs to read it it's so it's wonderful people uh you know I feel a little bit gaslighted a little bit all the time based upon my understanding of Russia and yeah. Russian history and how I grew up and our current world in which we just kind of seem to have ignore all of that. Like, you know, the communist era is just not talked about, yeah. you know. Uh, it's utterly kind of swept yeah. under the table. Right. It was like 100 years that were really important in world history, right? Yeah. Uh, it's been replaced with discussing Putin a little bit, but it's it was not hauled out and talked about with the same right. ferocity as the uh, Civil War, American Civil War, the right. Nazis, right? And I think it was equally horrifying. But yeah. the, uh, anyway, so kind of gets through that. It's a, it's a series of, it's narrative nonfiction, so it's uh, four or five different people born in the late 70s or early 80s, yeah. uh, just like what their lives have been like, having gone through the 
you know, fall of the Soviet Empire and the yeah. rise of Putin. Yeah. And it's fascinating. It's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, just like uh, there's a psychoanalyst, there's yeah. uh, like a street hustler. It's just a lot of. Uh, it's great. It's, yeah. She's an extremely good writer and That's an extremely awesome. sensitive one. So I, everyone should read it just to understand. I think more of what's happening there that we're, you're not getting from either the left or the right who yeah. have taken contrary. You know, both bad positions on Russia. Both equally ignorant. Yeah, both equually ignorant. Did you see the death of Stalin? Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, I liked it. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah I liked that it. Movie was yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very well done. I, everyone should watch that too. The like, Death of Stalin. Uh, yeah. Death of Stalin is uh, incredible. Uh, Steve Buscemi is a very believable Nikita Khrushchev. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The scene where Beria is killed, I thought was like really hard to watch and like accurate. I'm sure. Yeah, I, it, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know how I thought about that last scene, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I'm still thinking about that scene. Last yeah, scene. it was a. I thought it was a cinematic masterpiece in some ways because it was like I don't know, it was just really brutal. Yeah. But at the same time, like tremendous. It was great. It was great. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, the other thing I'd recommend is something way lighter. Uh, is this uh, podcast called Household Names? Okay. Yeah. And it's a uh, it's Business Insider podcast. Okay, I like Business Insider. Yeah, Insider. yeah, uh, and it's just about brand stories. Which I think are fucking super fascinating. Oh. So it's just like histories of like weird branding. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and like businesses that mm-hmm. lived and died by brand mythology. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first episode's about uh, TGI Fridays and how it was, you know, the original tender. Oh, wow. Like how in the 70s it was like the first bar where like men and women were like on equal footing. Oh, interesting. And, and I didn't like, realize that. And it could like turn, you know, it was like this hookup spot. Oh, that's It was cool. like a real like progressive one in the 70s. Well, oh, that's interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of how it became this like massive chain. And then uh, now it's like, you know, yeah. you know Applebee's media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, it's, it's a really fascinating podcast. And uh, I... I'm, uh, the, the last episode I listened to was about uh, Donald and Ivana Trump uh, being hired by Pizza Hut to sell stuffed crust pizza. Oh, interesting. And how it saved Pizza Hut and it saved Donald Trump. And oh, that's so it's fascinating. Really, it's really good. That's um, awesome. Anyway, so yeah, household names, I, I recommend that. Okay, cool. Uh, and that's it. That's all I got. So. All right. Uh, in that case, uh, thanks everyone for listening to us. Uh, this has been episode 54 of Room of Requirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, thanks to Kevin Carter for producing our intro and outro music. And good luck, Lex. We hope you find a house yes. out there somewhere. All uh, right. Take care, everyone. Yeah.